this is Rachel Lynn, and you are listening to Upstage Left. In this episode, I speak with Maropi Peponides, who is one of three directors at Soho Rep, and also the co-founder of her own theater company, Radical Evolution. I was really excited to speak with Maropi because there's been a lot of conversation happening about institutions and the necessity for change across the board from regional theaters to off-off-Broadway theaters. And so I've been thinking a lot about leadership in theater and what change could possibly look like, because it's more than just replacing white institution leaders with BIPOC institution leaders, right? It's, it's also cultural and structural. And so I was really excited to find out more about how they do things at Soho Rep because I feel like they're one of the theater companies already exploring different options in that regard. So I was really excited to learn more from Maropi. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the episode, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the episode with a friend. It helps people to find us. Here is Maropi Peponides. you oh I'm doing all right how are you good good just living this pandemic life still yeah <laughs> but hopefully we're seeing signs of making our way out so that's exciting yeah how have you been spending the pandemic on a lot of these zoom calls um <laughs> but um no I mean I I've been very lucky in that um you know the organizations with which I work have have managed to kind of navigate through, you know, this moment with like perhaps a bit more stability than, than a lot of other, you know, performing arts organizations. I think part of it is that we're very small. Both the organizations I help lead are, are very small and don't have really much or any reliance on like ticket sales or earned income. So that was like, as far as the initial shock of everything closing down was much much less acute, I think, for us um, than most places. So yeah, I just feel very lucky that even though we haven't been able to do live performance in the way that we previously understood it before the, the shutdown, we've been able to keep everybody employed and think strategically about how we want to move forward and morph our programming in response to what's going on in the world. Mm, yeah. You're one of the three directors at Soho Rep, yes. and you're a co-founder of Radical Evolution. But when I met you, you were an MFA student at Columbia, right? getting your MFA in <laughs> dramaturgy. It's true. I did that. <laughs> okay. First of all, I don't think I've ever had anybody uh, spoken to anybody who has an MFA in dramaturgy. How do you explain what dramaturgy is to non-theater people? Yeah, I mean, I I try <laughs> to be totally honest, I try to avoid all conversations about dramaturgy especially with non-theater people because it is really difficult to explain, but but I think the way that I've come to understand it in the most straightforward sense is that dramaturgy is a set of tools for understanding story structure, understanding theme and organizing principles within storytelling that can then be applied in like so many different ways. I know people who have gone into the more sort of, I think what is the expected route for dramaturgs of like literary management and new play development. 
I've known people to go into, you know, sort of like writing and like critique or, or journalism. I've known people go into the agenting world. I've known people to go into the, you know, more commercial world and working in the film and TV space. So I, I felt like when, you know, when I was studying it, I was like, okay, here's a set of tools that I can then kind of go and apply to whichever sector that, that excites me the most. Um, and in my case, I had already been producing theater before going back to school for dramaturgy. And so what I think I was really interested in gaining from that experience was how to understand the artistic side of producing and be able to apply the sort of budgetary and logistical logics of producing to, you know, with an artistic lens and make my producing practice really like an artistic producing practice. And so where were you producing theater before you went back to school? I actually lived and worked in LA before I started at Columbia. So I came to New York uh, for the Columbia program, but I was working for small theater companies in LA um, doing a lot of community-based work. The sort of like 99-seat venue has like really been the site of most of my artistic practice throughout my career. And I've been, I've sort of intentionally steered back to that a couple of times after having worked in larger institutions. I think because I'm, I believe so much in the power of that like intimate experience um, and, and the immediacy of that small theater experience. So I'd been working with a couple of small theaters in LA most recently before leaving a company called Watts Village Theater Company, which is sadly no longer in existence because of a myriad of challenges of running a small theater in, in California or anywhere really. But And then 24th Street Theater, which was both a theater company and a venue and is you know very much still around and, and thriving. Mm. Are you from LA? I grew up in San Diego. And then I, I went to college in LA at um, UCLA. And then I lived in, in LA for four years after finishing undergrad and worked in these theater spaces. But yeah, I mean, everyone was sort of just like, oh, you're like doing this thing until you can get a job in film. And I was like, no, I like really specifically care about theater much more than film. And I, I was sort of very averse to the film industry at the time. I think, I think, you know, for the similar reasons that I feel like I'd probably still not work in the film industry, which is just the like, you know, the focus on money and commercial success and the sort of level of exploitation in like the working conditions that was way worse at the time, <laughs> even mm -hmm. than it is now, you know, just the, the kind of necessity for broad appeal that exists in the film space, I feel like. And I was so interested in like the extremely idiosyncratic and niche world of what theater making and new plays could be. What was the first theatrical either producing or audience experience that you had where you, you thought, you know what, I want to do theater. This is for me. Yeah. I mean, one of the first shows that I produced or, or perhaps the first show in, in a professional sense that I produced was with Watts Village Theater Company. And I was an associate producer at the time because it was a brand new thing to me. In hindsight, it's kind of incredible that like they don't teach you about producing in theater schools. You could you could finish like an entire theater degree and not understand that theater costs money, which blows my mind now in retrospect. But just the way that some of these schools are structured, it's really like they're like focus on the art, which I I understand, but I think that in some cases it can be a detriment to like people understanding the professional landscape. 
I came out really not knowing anything and very luckily fell in with the, with Watts Village Theater Company, the artistic and managing director at the time, uh, Guillermo Aviles Rodriguez and uh, Damien Tico Peran kind of became my mentors and cheerleaders in becoming a producer. And being in a small company in a town that wasn't a theater town, I feel like I was given the opportunity to step into like leadership roles much sooner than I may have otherwise, mm -hmm. um, largely because there's nobody doing that work. And so that was something that I think was hugely valuable at the start of my career that I was able to see myself as a leader that other people saw me as a leader at the time. I'm not, I'm really not sure I would be doing what I'm doing today if that early like encouragement and reinforcement hadn't happened because I kind of had no idea what I was doing at the time, you know? What did you, and you studied theater in undergrad? I did. I studied theater history. So I was like, you know, and even though I kind of knew at the time I didn't want to be an academic, but for some reason I thought it was very important to be able to write like a very good essay about theater. Wow. That's such an interesting major. Did you decide to be that major when you were in high school or undergrad? In undergrad, I was doing some like acting classes and I was like, wait, I hate the moment where I have to go up and act. I just like watching everybody else in acting class. <laughs> um, so that was the sign. And, and, you know, I think that I've always been somebody who I don't really thrive on like overt competition. And I feel like in some of those acting programs, there can be this sense of, you know, vying for attention or, or something to be like recognized as sort of one of the superior actors in the bunch. And, you know, number one, I wasn't getting that recognition because I was not good. And number two, I, I was like, I'd rather go find a, my own thing and excel at that thing. And so that's kind of how I found my way into the more academic side of it, I think. And I just, I really, you know, to this day, I really enjoy like theory and conceptual thinking and theorizing about things. Mm -hmm. And I think that also lends itself a lot to like structural thinking and dramaturgy. So there, there is a through line from the point of view of just like conceptualizing what a thing is or how, what its organizing principles are, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think looking back, that's a little bit of what I was doing in that, in that critical studies theater history track was looking at work, you know, looking at plays or looking at sets of plays and attempting to analyze them, you know, and like break them apart and figure them out. Did you feel emotionally invested in a lot of the plays you were analyzing? Or do you feel when you work on a play, you like to have some distance? The answer is very different but from like, if you're talking about my like academic studies versus now, mm -hmm. um, I think at the time I felt everything felt very sort of foreign to me. And, you know, like looking back, I'm like realizing what in, in both my undergrad and graduate studies, the general focus on Eurocentric work, you know, or like white North American work. So like, that's something that's now I think being uncovered and talked about a lot more than it was 10, 15 years ago of like, why are these the people we're studying somewhat exclusively? And why are we lifting this up as the standard of like good theatrical work, quote unquote? I think now I'm very much like in it, like, you know, like in my, in sort of my, my professional practice, at Soho Rep, as well as my, you know, my, my artistic work in Radical Evolution, like I'm invested. If I, if I'm working on a show, I may have a little bit more distance from something that 
is being worked on at Soho Rep if I'm, you know, if I'm not in the rehearsal room every day and I don't necessarily like know every single beat of the play, like the back of my hand, but I'm still very close to it. I'm still invested. I still think it's amazing no matter what the critics say. You know what I mean? Like, I think I have a lot of feelings about the work that that I make now. It'd be very difficult to produce in the way that I produce and not have feelings about the work. I spend too many hours and I, and I have to care, you know, a lot in order to make this thing occur in the world, you know? So, so I have to really love it, you know? Yeah. How did you end up at Columbia? I was, I was curious about dramaturgy. And I think this is where that through line comes from undergrad. I was like, what is that thing that I was trying to do in undergrad? (laughs) And I was like, I think it was dramaturgy. I just didn't know that word at the time. I started after working in theater for a few years in LA, I started looking around at different programs and I was looking at both dramaturgy and theater management and producing programs. Mm -hmm. Some were both theater management and producing, some were just theater management. I think I was also looking at some, again, like broader, like masters of like in like art as, as social practice or art as civic engagement. So those were kind of the three areas of programs that I was considering, but stumbling on the Columbia dramaturgy program where they talk about dramaturgy as a practicum, as like that, this set of practical tools really resonated with me. And I knew that I wanted this as a skill set to re-enter the workforce with, not to go into a PhD and then into academia. When in your career did you realize you wanted to be in a leadership position or was that really just kind of more of a natural flow? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think it's not something I I never sort of aspired to organizational leadership from the beginning, but I always cared a lot about the sort of like how the thing was made and like how people were treated in the workplace and what was, what was sort of the ethical way of a production coming together. And so those issues are very much tied up in leadership, but I didn't really even realize that at the time. With regard to co-founding Radical Evolution, which I did in 2011, that was very much out of a desire to create my, my partner, Beto O'Byrne, who's my partner in life as well as in Radical Evolution. We started this just to sort of as a way of creating an artistic home for ourselves um, where, we, where we didn't feel like we were seeing an artistic home that we wanted to sort of join elsewhere Um, in the city. That's not to say we did an exhaustive search and like turn down every theater company. We didn't know much at the time, you know, we were just like, yeah, it kind of seems like we want to do this thing. So maybe we should like try to do it like that. It was more of that. It it was more of that tone than like being sort of indignant at everything else that was going on in New York. So I just want to, you know, (laughs) put that out there. And so we were, yeah, we were just really excited to sort of experiment with what a theater company could be and how how we could build it. So yeah, we created that as kind of an umbrella for our our artistic work together, not with the aim of institution building, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Radical Evolution would look extremely different right now if we had started with the idea of institution building in mind. And in fact, we, we really went the opposite route, which is that like the company should work for us. We don't ever want to be like beholden to the kind of administrative structures of like whatever this company is. Um, I, I will say now that I perhaps realize that's like too, uh, 
to a fault, you know, like it's like we probably went too far in the other direction and like resisted structure and like resisted incorporating as a nonprofit for a very long time in a way that may have been a little bit detrimental to our growth, but that's what happened. And here we are. I think I understand what you mean by not going the institution building route, but can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that so many theaters are like, so-and-so is the artistic director and -and so-and-so is the managing director. And then we have to hire a development director. And then we have to do this. What I like to refer to as the 20th century factory model that so many theaters still run on, where you break off pieces of work into like specialization. And then you hire one person to do the same work over and over again rather than the more holistic, everyone sort of excels at a different set of tasks and we build the work of the company around what the individuals involved are good at. We were were sort of leading with the people that we had and slash have rather than attempting to create these, you know, like an organizational chart and then fill those positions, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Is that similar to how Soho Rep is run or has started to be run or has that changed during your tenure there? Yeah, so Soho Rep has gone on an interesting path in the last, you know, it's a, I think, 45-year-old company and now, and, um, you know, has remained rather small, which is, I think, one of the things that makes it distinctive. It's that it's been around since 1975, but it, it intentionally didn't grow into, again, like this huge institution in the way that, you know, or founded around the same time was like Manhattan Theater Club, for example, or like the Roundabout or like, you know, these other theaters that were started in that era and have now become like much larger institutions. And again, like no, like, you know, there's no sort of like, this is the good way of doing it, or this is the bad way of doing it. It's just like choices that get made, you know? And then it's just like where those choices lead to. So with regard to Soho Rep, there had been an artistic director at the helm for a long, long time. Or rather, I think that at the, in the co-founders were sort of co-artistic directors. And then there had been a single artistic director, and then another single artistic director. And then... Um, Sarah Benson, who's currently one of the three directors, was, a, you know, is, is the fourth artistic director of, of the company. And she started in, I believe, 2000, either at the end of 2007 or 2008. I don't know exactly. And she was the artistic director. There was a managing director at the time, but that person actually reported to her. So it was like a single head of the organization. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a few years in, the the managing director at the time was transitioning out. And, and as part of the search, she told the board that she really wanted a partner, like an equal partner in the administrative side of the company. She didn't want somebody reporting to her. She was, you know, and she was just like, I couldn't do it alone anymore. I just couldn't. And I think that's something that's so not talked about in leadership is I feel like there's this like assumed sort of albatross or something that leadership is very lonely and it's like well sure it's lonely if you decide to do it alone and none of the places that I have worked that have been my models for leadership have ever had a singular leader at the helm there's always been at least two people and often there's been like teams and so I was like yeah of course you're going to want more than one person at the head of an organization And so to me, that made complete sense. But like, again, these things are not a foregone conclusion. They're choices that get made at certain junctures. And then, you know, the the results unfold. 
So in 2012, they brought on Cynthia Flowers, who's still one of the three directors. She came on as the executive director. And so she and Cynthia were partners. Um, so Sorry, Sarah and Cynthia were partners, is what I meant to say. So they co-ran the theater as co-equal heads of the theater for several years. I came on in 2014 as the producer. So I was reporting to both of them directly. And then about around 2018, about four years into my role there, I, I kind of went to them and was like, hey, you know, I, I still really care about Soho Rep. I really love working with everyone here, but I'm struggling with this role particularly right now. I feel like I sort of felt like I had plateaued, that I wasn't really learning anything new anymore or wasn't learning, it's not anything, but like wasn't learning as much as I had been in the beginning. And so I was like, what do I do? And to be fair, I thought they were going to be like, well, you should look for a new job then. <laughs> you know, like I really thought that was like where that conversation was going to go, which would have been a completely reasonable response to be like, well, if you're done with this job, go find another job. Mm-hmm. And instead they said, well, would you be interested in shared leadership? And I was like, well, I guess, what does that mean? You know? And that sort of started off this very long, many part conversation around what shared leadership would mean to us, how the three of us would function in shared leadership, what areas of work we would continue to take on, what new areas of work would I participate in as a, as a director versus in my pre- previous role as producer, how we would all interface with the external world around our roles, you know? And, you know, and I think, I mean, first we like all really like enjoyed working together and wanted to keep working together, which I think was a huge part of why the decision was even made, which again goes back to just tie it back to the like, it's really hard for me to like make an org chart and then fill those roles. You know, at Soho Rep, it was like, well, here are the three of us. How do we want to work together? So it was the the inverse of making the org chart and filling those roles. It was starting with here are the people we have. We're all really committed to this place here are our strengths. How are we going to arrange ourselves in our work? Mm. So, yeah. So we, you know, and I think each of us, you know, we're just sort of really honest about coming to the table about like, this is what I would need in order to make this, you know, a a thing that I would want to do essentially. Would you say any of the things that you brought to the table that you're like, I want control of this realm? Yeah. I mean, it was way less about control and way more about, I was sort of like, I need help with X, Y, and Z tasks that I'm currently doing so that I can take on bigger picture work and like things that are more exciting to me. So it was less of like, I need to have control of this and more like, I really never want to do this set of spreadsheets again. Can we find someone else to do it? (laughs) You know? So it was like, how, what does it mean to really make space for like me to take on more leadership? It was also part of like, how are we going to sort of structure the company in a way that I can siphon off the sort of like more day-to-day tasks that are really time consuming to other people so that I have space and capacity to take on some of the bigger picture leadership stuff. And then which areas of leadership are each of us leading in and each of us representing, you know, and that's when it was, that's when sort of my life as a producer kind of dovetailed with this shared leadership idea. Because I was like, well, I still want to keep putting together the shows. I don't want to like not do that anymore just because I'm also like one of the leaders of the company. And I see that work as a huge part of the leadership of the organization. 
mm-hmm. going back to what I was saying about like, I really care how something gets made. And I really care like about process and like how the thing comes together and making sure it's happening like ethically as much as is humanly possible. So yeah, it felt like a real sort of like light bulb moment of like a producer is also a part of the leadership of the organization. It's not one or the other. And also luckily, like Sarah and Cynthia very much recognized that to be true. So we were all very much aligned in that regard. We talked about, you know, I, I began to get into much more deep and involved conversation with Sarah around like the curation process, like curating future seasons and how that was going to go and the commissioning process and, and that sort of thing. So those are the things I began to, to be involved with more. And then all three of us now directly report to the board of directors. So all three of us are, you know, regularly speaking to the board and various members of the board um, about various issues that are going on at the organization. Wow. That brings up so many things. I have so many questions that just came up. Little <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Already. I just, when I think of, well, I love that you brought up Roundabout and MTC. You know, you mentioned those theaters coming into the world at the same time as Soho Rep, because I think of Soho Rep as so kind of like avant-garde and different than those organizations, even though they're around the same, I don't know, age. I should fact check myself because I don't actually know what year. So, so maybe, you know, just to say, I don't actually know exactly what years those theaters were founded. I believe it was in the early seventies and Soho Rep was founded in 1975, but I just wanted to say that. Okay, we'll make, we'll put that caveat in there. But even when I think about, you know, the work that comes out of Soho Rep, it's so feels so contemporary and new and you talked about curation and how that that's a part of your role and one of the questions I had coming into this was what makes a Soho Rep artist what are you guys looking for what what excites you because you I also want to briefly mention these two I don't know programs that you have which is the writer director lab and during quarantine or the pandemic uh, project number one yeah that's a new initiative Yes. So yeah, if you want to speak briefly about those two things and how you curate or what you're looking for. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think to speak to your first question of like, what, how do we find a Soho Rep artist or what makes a Soho Rep artist? I mean, that's, I will say that's a question we are constantly interrogating for ourselves in an attempt to discover our own blind spots and shortcomings in that regard. But I will say that like, at this point, we think a lot about people who who are really sort of questioning their own assumptions and whose work is like based in a place of inquiry, mm. whose work is like grappling with something in the work itself. People who are very are just radical thinkers. We're interested in people who are like examining other ways of being, other ways of thinking, other ways of living in the world and like infusing that into their work. I think that people who are excited about interrogating the form of theater, why is this a play? Why isn't this a a movie or a television show? That very much is part of the, I think, aesthetic and ethos of Soho Rep. Um, Also theater is a civic space. Why must we, we, the audience, be gathered in the room with the artist for this particular event? How does our presence like make the thing what it is? you know? And so like theater as a civic space is something that I think we have a great interest in too. Yeah. I mean, artists that are grappling with the thornier social questions of our time, whether it's 
social justice, racial justice, whether it's climate change, whether it's gender, whether it's any of these like big ideas, you know, again, coming from a place of inquiry rather than, and, and it's not a binary. So, but just to provide a, by way of example, like a sort of counterpoint to that rather than a place of dogma or of like, this is how it is. And I like know that this is how it has to be, you know, instead asking the questions, why is it this way? Does it have to be this way? What would it look like if it were different? So I think that's a big part of just the approach that we're looking for in artists. And then, you know, people who just like have a sense of like joy and like fun in their work is also like a huge part, I think, of of where we come from. Like we're not interested in being like miserable all the time. (laughs) You know, like it's like not miserable all the time. That's not the right way of putting it. You know, we are interested in, despite these heavy subjects, we are interested in infusing both the artistic process and the outcome with some sense of joy and levity whenever possible or appropriate. How far along are these plays when you encounter them for the first time? Do people come to you or do you go to them and ask them to get yeah. It's a great question. It varies from piece to piece. With regard to Soho Rep shows, we we make commissions. And when we commission an artist, we sort of intend to produce that show. So a lot of our shows are sort of homegrown from commission to production. Some of our pieces are, you know, scripts that are looking for a home. And then some are somewhere in between. It really, really depends. I will say that the in-between is probably a little less common, you know, like it's Usually someone's not like bringing you like 20 pages of being like, I think this could be a thing, but like sometimes they are, you know, like sometimes that is where the conversation starts. But, you know, a huge part of what I think we are excited about is bringing projects from commission to production. So that's sort of the dream um, is to, again, find an artist that exhibits many of the qualities I just talked about say, hey, we want to commission you to make something for Soho Rep and we intend to produce it when you've made it. Even just telling people we intend to produce it in our theater at 46 Walker Street can just completely reorient somebody's process, you know, in contrast with other processes they've had. I've definitely seen that happen. The sort of confidence in being like, oh, you like want my thing as I'm making it is like another huge distinctive factor in the process oftentimes like so often with commissions it's sort of like write the thing and then we'll see if we want to do it you know Mm -hmm. and and I just you know to say it's like this didn't come up from a place of ethical superiority or anything it's that like we didn't have a lot of money so we couldn't afford to like commission 10 people and then pick one play to produce you know like that just has never been a part of Soho Rep's reality Mm -hmm. It's always been this thing of if we're going to invest in in this artist with a commission, we we really mean to like put it up on our stages, you know. Wow. But yeah, that's been really cool because then it feels like we're in a long term collaboration with that person toward eventually sharing their work with the public, you know. Yeah. Have you ever? It sounds also a little bit dangerous. Do you ever? Do you ever find that? you're getting pages in or you're in the process and it's not what you expected or what you think your audiences would want? And how do you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, it's often not what we expected, but that's usually amazing, you know? And I think that because we, I mean, it's rare that we commission an artist who we just met, 
you know, so it's generally speaking, we've been in a conversation with somebody about what it is that they are interested in doing and like sharing ideas around like what this person may, may wish to work on for Soho Rep. So we have a general idea of what it is we're working toward. And then, you know, just again, this idea of like shared values, I think is so important, both shared artistic values and shared social values around things like anti-racism and anti-oppression, things like this is what you know, this is how we're interested in engaging with an inquiry about something big in the world. If those like tent poles are in place, the aesthetic or storytelling decisions that get made can be surprising. And that's exciting, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And because we, I think, try to establish that ethos early on that we are in a long-term collaboration, it's an ongoing feedback loop, usually, of conversation, sharing ideas, pages, more conversation, more conversation, pages, rather than like a writer, like going to their corner and then like, you know, emerging and being like, here's my thing, you know, like it's just, it rarely, sometimes, I mean, sometimes writers, that's their process. And then we also want to leave them alone and let them have their process, but it's often just like a lot more organic than that. And so I think that the surprises or the unexpected turns are usually great. And if they're not, it's something we navigate through with the artist. Are there any guiding principles or advice you would offer to somebody who's starting out in a creative process, in a play creation process, who doesn't have the benefit of being in a room with you? Oh, gosh. Well, I do have a policy of not giving unsolicited advice. So (laughs) it's tricky because usually I'm giving advice to someone who specifically asked me for it for themselves. But I mean, I just, you know, if anything, it's like, I feel like it's like, be unapologetic and like, go for, you know, what is it? Like, I I don't know sports metaphors, but the thing (laughs) of like, go for the home run, I guess. I don't know. It's not the right way of putting it. I guess just to say like, be bold and like, try the crazy idea. There we go. I'm going to stay away from sports metaphors forevermore. (laughs) Yeah. Like try the crazy idea, put forth the thing that you think is probably the most radical, put that thing in the center of the room. Mm. Even if it's a problem, even if you're like, Oh, I'm really stuck on this. I'm really grappling with what to do about this. Put that in the center of the room rather than try to work around it or sweep it under the rug. I just feel like some of the bravest, most exciting work that gets made is when people are like tackling those really tricky things head on Mm. and you can feel it like in the work. I think, you know, when someone's really going out on a limb and be, and, and like taking a chance and taking a risk. And that's part of what makes the experience so exciting. And so I just like really, yeah, like that's, I just feel like, you know, experiment all the way is the, is the general like blanket advice that I feel like I'd give anyone who's trying to be an artist. Cause like, otherwise, like why do theater You know, like is how I feel about it. You can, you know, if you're like, Oh, I actually want to do an idea that's like very sort of like safe and like appeals to a broad audience. And I'm like, awesome. Go find like a TV studio to pitch that to. You'll make way more money than in the theater. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and it's, again, it's like also trying to, to attempt to meet the form do the thing that you must do with other people in the room, Mm. you know, do the thing that like you need to be in conversation with other people in real time in order to do. 
Cause if you don't like TV is great. Like I love TV, you know, <laughs> like, like it's just, it, 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 so it's also this thing of like make choices about the form that you want to create in and then like go for it all the way. I love that. I don't know if that's helpful. It is. It really is. To end, I would love to know, you know, we've had a pretty uh, eventful year <laughs> or needless to say, do you have any foresight or predictions to how, our industry will change hopes or fears. Oh gosh. I like everyone asks me this and I'm like, I wish I knew. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I really hope that we become a field that is more equitable, you know, like just cares more about like people's working conditions that cares about sustainable wage. Yeah. That like, that really puts the people at the center of what it, what it is we're doing. You know, I feel like that we were deep in a cycle of like prioritizing product at the moment of the shutdown. And I really hope that we can sort of recenter around like the humans in our community and like what they need and what it is they're most excited to do and then, and then build from there. That feels like an exciting way forward to me right now. It's not to say we're never going to have another production. Like we absolutely are because that's like what most theater people are excited to do is like do productions, you know, but just like reorienting around like how we build up to a production or what that process is feels like a really, you know, rich site of examination. I definitely think there's a lot of work to do around racial justice in the theater world. Um, It's exciting to see that that's beginning to be centered more. And I hope we keep going with that and go even further and not and not consider like making strides forward in that like too radical, you know, like I hope we like, I hope we really keep, um, keep that momentum moving. And, and similarly, like to, I hope we like bring the spirit of artistic creativity and collaboration and experimentation to that work, to that racial and social justice work, the same way that we bring it to our plays, because I think that, that, way of thinking and that spirit of inquiry and and collaboration and creativity can be so useful to those conversations. And I think it's what theater artists have to offer in spades, you know? So I'm like, bring that, bring yourself to those conversations, bring your creativity, you know? And I'm excited to see how the form will change and respond to this year of us not having been inside a theater but I just don't know how that's going to like manifest at all. I'm very excited to see just like how artists formulate what we come to call a production coming out of this. But I feel like that's going to look so different in different places. And I'm just excited to, to be surprised about what ideas come out of that. And I, this is the very, very last question. I uh, TA like an undergrad acting class students who are getting you know thinking about getting degrees in theater what would you say to somebody who is going to school for theater right now or going to get their MFA in theater either a piece of advice you wish you knew or I don't know in this particular moment what do you want the younger generation of theater makers to know yikes feel like I don't know that's a lot of pressure I mean I think I'd also like I'd circle back to like my same advice to like all artists of like be bold you know like try the crazy idea like go you know experiment all the way 
very much feels true when you're in school. Cause like what a better, you know, there's no better time to like be experimenting and trying things out and taking risks than, than in um, a school setting. Yeah. I think it's also just like bring your imagination and stay open and like try to have hope, even though it's like so hard right now, like theater's not going anywhere in its form institutions, nonprofits, who knows that stuff may morph and change and evolve and die and regrow and and all of that stuff over the coming years and decades. But like the form of theater, like we all know how many thousands of years old that is and that we need it as humans. So it's sort of like trust that that will be happening in some way and just try to stay open and navigate your way through this moment, which I know is so, so difficult. I know this year for theater folks in particular has been so like unmooring. And I think there has been like a really huge loss of sense of self for some people, which like we aren't really talking about. But you know, this idea of like, we give up so much in order to be theater artists in this society, which is also like messed up. I'm like, maybe we shouldn't have to give up so many other aspects of our lives in order to make theater, but that's another podcast. But I feel like it's like we give up so much to do theater. We push everything else aside to like make this room in our lives to be theater artists. And then like, you know, in 48 hours, all of that collapsed. And then it's like, well, then what do I do? Who am I? And what am I doing? If that, if not this thing. And so I just, you know, I like think it's important to acknowledge that that's real. And like, even if it's not the single biggest tragedy that has occurred over the last year, because it's not, it's still a real thing that I think people are really grappling with. And I think it's okay to be grappling with that. And I think it's also like, hopefully going to manifest in like growth and learnings and like other more multifaceted lives of theater people coming back. I never would have started an indoor garden if it weren't for this COVID times. And maybe now I'll keep that going even in spite of you know, even in spite of my theater schedule, that's obviously a dumb, shallow, like, you know, um, uh, example, but, but, you know, what are, what are the things that you've had room for in this year that you want to carry forward? Cause I think that's equally as important and as valid as getting back to making theater in the way that we understood it before. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. This was so great. It was great to chat with you. That was Naropi Pebonides. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, have a great day.